0: Top Chicago corporate officials have joined an open letter urging Congress to ratify the election of Biden as president. And Crane's government reporter, A.D. Quigg, joins the podcast today to look back and offer analysis of 2020 and to lay out what she'll be watching
1: closely in the year ahead. Something I'll be watching in 2021 is if we build back systems to where our poorest don't have the, the biggest burden in future crises like this.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Tuesday, January 5th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Crane's government reporter, Aidy Quigg, here to reflect on the year that was 2020 and look ahead to 2021. No small task. Thanks for joining today, AD.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What an insane year. Um, if you had told me what this year would be like last year, I might not have signed up for it.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people might have also opted out. Well, I was thinking back <laughs> to the conversation that you and I had this time last year. Um, same kind of format. I said, hey, let's reflect on the year and then let's look ahead for the for 2020. For and, uh, you know, I, I think n- nobody could have, of course, predicted the way that 2020 shook out. But there were some things on your beat that, that did hold. In particular, I'm thinking about um, Pritzker's graduated tax proposal, uh, the census, things like that. But that was coupled with a lot of other things we couldn't have foreseen. When you think about 2020 on your beat, what are the big stories that come to mind?
1: Everything I was interested in 2019 was still relevant in 2020, but everything had just a COVID filter on top of it. So crime and violence that I was interested in last year. Um, I think as the year was ending, uh, CPD superintendent Eddie Johnson was on his way out. Um, Maybe at that time we were starting to get trickles of uh, the insane circumstances under which he was leaving. We knew about how he had been, pulled over and some of the troubles, uh, perhaps with drinking he had had at the time. I think I would have been focusing on that simply alone in 2020. I think I would have cared a lot about crime and violence, but it was a more um, acute story in the COVID era, because the overlapping issues were the impact of the killing of George Floyd in May, we had the impacts of Lots and lots of people unemployed, um, the pressure of being locked up inside, and the fear over a deadly pandemic. So almost every beat I covered had some kind of COVID filter on top of it. And that applies to the census, too. I mean, we had big plans for a gigantic rollout. This was going to be the first census that was going to be able to be responded to online. Um, Our first chance to get a a sense of how many people were coming and going from the city of Chicago. I was particularly interested in our black population loss. But then you get a COVID filter put on top of it where we had to delay the whole thing because uh, because of the health crisis. And then we also had I guess I should say I should have applied a Trump filter to everything as well because the Supreme Court uh, dodged a ruling on whether the president can exclude undocumented immigrants from a key census count. Um, basically, everything I was interested in, I think, with the exception of uh, Mike Madigan and the Comed scandal, had a had a COVID filter over it. So this will 2020 will always be my COVID filter year. But I think will there will be um, long lasting impacts of that. in in 2021 as we get through this vaccination and as we look back on how COVID um, impacted everything long-term going forward. Would you say that,
0: that the pandemic or maybe the sentiment surrounding events in the election year, would you say that any of that changed the way that you approached your beat other than, you know, working remotely, things like that, but just philosophically, did you approach it with a different way of thinking this year?
1: I think something that became very apparent early on, because I remember having Q&A conversations for cranes early on, was that this was going to have a disproportionate impact. And we should always keep that kind of front and center as we were approaching this topic and everything that applied to it. So we knew that the pandemic itself, the virus was going to infect more people of color, more people in traditionally low-income, frontline jobs. So, Uh, Not only people working in our hospitals and pharmacies, but also people working in our grocery stores and delivering our food. I always kind of had that in mind front and center, and that definitely played out in terms of the, the violence we saw this year. It was also impacting a lot of those same communities. I think it impacted the way the city and state structured a lot of their relief programs, um, their their help for small businesses, uh, rental relief, grants available for all kinds of different stuff, um, relief for utility payments. So I think that um, the disproportionate impact, I think, has been front and center for me. I think it's been front and center for a lot of people working in government and politics. Um, I know it's impacting the way people are thinking about recovery. How can we? How can the city as a whole recover in an equitable way? And something I spoke with Helene Gale the head of the Chicago Community Trust about was building back better after this. So the reason this hit people disproportionately is because we didn't have um, structures in place that made health and income and work more just and safe. Something I'll be watching in 2021 is if we build back systems to where our poorest don't have the, the biggest burden in future crises like this. What other big stories stand out to you this year uh, from your beat? Definitely uh, Madigan and ComEd and the the side off, the side kind of spinning effects on everyone else in politics in Chicago and Illinois, um, how that is impacting a bunch of other things we're thinking about in 2021, including how the state will manage its gigantic budget deficit because of COVID and um, the legislative remap. So I think the other thing I'm thinking about in terms of comment is what will happen with the city's franchise agreement with them? What will happen to future energy negotiations in Springfield because of this scandal? Um, Who else might get taken down in this, in this investigation? We had so many um, retirements and convictions and um, scrutiny on so many people outside of this immediate circle. Um, What, what other lobbyists might get taken down um, are, are there any other uh, moles that we don't know about? Because the one thing that kind of struck everyone that covers Chicago City Council is that uh, former Alderman Danny Solis had been wearing a wire for months and months and months. Um, I'm curious if there are any other any other moles or uh, cooperating witnesses (C.W.s) as they're put in in these uh, indictments. Uh, what other surprises there might be? I don't in, I I don't anticipate we'll be short on surprises. It felt like every other Friday for a while we were getting some new indictment, some new filing, um, some bombshell investigation coming out that told us a lot more. Um, but it's definitely not over. I mean, we haven't had anyone go to trial yet. I'm, I'm waiting to see what will happen to Alderman Ed Burke. There's a couple other folks under scrutiny that I'm not sure if they will be charged. Um, chief among them, Mike Madigan, he has not been charged, but has just been under this scrutiny for months and months, uh, more than a year, uh, And the scrutiny only heightened after Election Day when a few of the races he was expected to win didn't happen. But he has still um, managed to hold on to so many of the important levers of power that made him powerful in the first place. He is still the Speaker of the House. We will see what happens to that in January when legislators come back to Springfield. He is still in control of the Democratic Party of Illinois. He's still a huge fundraiser. He still has the support of uh, organized labor, which is one of the most powerful constituencies you can have in Illinois politics. Um, this is like a, a four-year story, a four- or five-year story. And we'll also be looking back on what the impacts of everyone involved in this, uh, what those long-term impacts were, what kinds of contracts or deals were approved, or massive energy legislation, for example, that might not have been otherwise approved if these folks in power who are now under scrutiny or charged, hadn't been in charge. You mentioned labor, and I think that's been up in such a
0: different way this year. Particularly, I'm thinking of CTU as schools pivoted to e-learning or the optional e-learning as uh, Catholic schools continue to stay in, where public schools were, were remote, things like that. I think CTU has been a really interesting voice in,
1: in all of that mix this year, too. Definitely. And they were, um, I mean, 2019 was a, a big year for them. Uh, we had the 11-day teacher strike in the city of Chicago, and after they secured that deal, which had a lot of what they wanted in it, I kind of expected it to be kind of quiet over there this year. Not so. They have been one of the most prominent teachers unions in the country on the safety of school reopening. That is still being fought as we speak. I'll be interested to see how many families actually do return. Uh, We have seen the Archdiocese of Chicago Pretty much pull it off this school year. They have been teaching in person almost since the start for many many weeks without major incident. Um, our commissioner at the Chicago Department of Public Health, who is now someone I think about constantly, who I didn't think about, who I barely thought about last year, um, says, you know, schools have been one of the bright spots in COVID where it's been it's been pretty safe. Um, But CTU has insisted, they're saying, you know, it's not just about whether children get infected. It's about having things in place to protect teachers and staff and nurses and also kids who have been on really shaky, uncertain ground, learning in all kinds of odd circumstances. Many of them still didn't have internet beginning this school year and have been figuring out how to learn remote. The other folks I'm following are the Chicago Federation of Labor, who have been kind of sprinting from government to government in this COVID era, um, trying to prevent massive layoffs because we have so many governments whose revenues just absolutely plunged because there's just so much less economic activity. Um, We saw them strike a deal in Chicago to avoid layoffs this year. I'll be eager to see what they managed to pull off with state government. um, That budget uh, is going to be really, really, really difficult without some federal help. The governor outlined about 700 million dollars in cuts, including a delay in in raises for certain AFSCME members. Uh, but that's that's a tiny bit of the cuts that he needs to be making to fill. A very big budget gap. I think he he proposed about seven hundred million dollars in in cuts or reductions, and that budget gap is a multi billion dollar one. Um, so we'll see we'll see what the CFL manages to pull off in the weeks to come. But I think I'm curious if there are permanent changes made to labor, not only contracts for unionized folks, but new agreements that make employees feel safe. I think. A lot of people, um, especially at the beginning of COVID, were working in unsafe conditions and felt they didn't have a way to address them. Um, I, where do we get PPE? Was the big question. Um, if we don't have paid sick leave, what do we do? If we if we get infected or a member of our family gets infected, can I stay home and still get paid if I have symptoms and don't want to get other people sick? We saw so many so many outbreaks at at warehouses and so many people. Scared to go to work, but forced to go to work to get a paycheck.
0: What story would you say on your beat flew maybe the most under the radar? Because there was so much going on. I know know there were so many stories that in a normal year would have gotten a lot of attention. but, But this year being what it was, there were so many stories that kind of got buried
1: by bigger things. What were those stories on your beat? Hmm. I think in any other year, I would have been bird dogging more stuff on the Chicago casino. It's something that the city has been trying to get for years and years. I want to say close to close to 20 years, definitely for a long time. And only in the past few weeks have we gotten some answers about where it could possibly go. But it has such a big impact um, for the city, especially for being able to Bolster its its pensions. Um, I was reading a I was reading a story by uh, Sarah Zimmerman at Cranes last year that was like, here's the economic outlook for the city in 2020, city and state in 2020, and the one thing everyone worried about was pensions. They were like, that's the biggest threat right now, and we have not, <laughs> we've barely talked about pensions this year, only in the context of, wow, our budgets uh, were already painful going in. Because of pensions and our our debt service, but it's made so much worse by COVID, and we have kind of solved the COVID stuff to get through enough this year. But that pension thing is still looming. So I think ordinarily I would have been thinking and writing a lot about uh, the casino because we're expecting to get hundreds of millions of dollars from it when it's up and running to help pay for Chicago's uh, Chicago's pensions. But also, it's it's a it's a big economic development story. It's a big commercial real estate story. Wherever this casino gets located, um, presumably would bring hundreds of construction jobs, hundreds of uh, hospitality jobs, and then have kind of a, that ripple effect of people staying at hotels and eating at restaurants nearby, yada, yada, yada. Last year, the big stories were um, Sterling Bay, Lincoln Yards, the 78, um what what does that do to the local neighborhood? Do the people living there want it? And we didn't have any of that this year. And I I wonder if the casino next year will be that story and then kind of a follow up on what what's going to happen with Lincoln Yards in the 78 and how they do transform the areas around them. Um, we didn't get to talk about big commercial real estate because it's just so much. It's very much in flux. And at the same time, we didn't get that kind of Uh, on-the-ground politics that we got a ton of in 2019. Um, We didn't get as much of that in 2020. I think, I wonder if that will pick up again in 2021 as things get, I'm using air quotes, back to normal. Uh, yeah, lots of air quotes. Um, So you've
0: mentioned a few things, but when you look forward to 2021, what will you be watching most closely? And I say that with realizing I asked you that last year, based on the information that you have right now, what will you be watching most closely in
1: 2021? I mean, something I'm always interested in, we haven't talked about her a ton, is Mayor Lori Lightfoot's relationship with, with Alderman and the press. Um, it's been a trying year. For her in that regard, um, which also started with COVID, a lot of aldermen kind of felt shut out of the city's planning and preparation and um, action plan as they were navigating the early weeks and months of COVID, and everyone was kind of stuck at home. Um, I will be, I will be curious to see if there are moves she can make to make everybody on the council feel heard, and included. Um, I think meeting in person again will will do some of that, um, but they're going to have to work through a lot of stuff next year. Next year's budget will not be easy. Um, the Chicago Police Department still under a consent decree. We saw um, this fallout from that botched uh, Chicago Police Department raid. Um, we still have expensive settlements coming through the Finance Committee and how that relationship Progresses is not only important for what the mayor would like to get done for her agenda, but we're through 2020. Um, We are already getting closer to the mayoral election. I'm sure we'll see some people navigating for that. Um, I'll also be eager to see what happens with Governor Pritzker in Springfield. He had kind of a, I don't want to call it magical, but he had a very good first year where he got a ton of stuff done. Um, running on the fuel of relief that uh, Governor Rauner was no longer around. And now he has this gigantic budget problem to deal with, and there's a lot of other regular Springfield business that needs to get done, building back better, like we talked about earlier, uh, some structural stuff that legislators want to get done um, on economic development, on criminal justice, on cannabis. Um, Another story I thought I'd be... Thinking a lot, thinking a lot about this year that I have barely touched. I think the rebuilding stuff and the relationship between our political leaders and our legislators are going to be really interesting. Not only for for budgeting, but for our leaders' political futures. Um, we're already seeing some jostling. I guess is the best word for uh, gubernatorial candidates, and that's you know that's in twenty twenty two there's going to be a lot at stake this year in terms of what path we choose to build back the city and state and there are there are a lot fewer tools uh especially on the on the budgetary side than some other states are dealing with so so things are a little bit more tenuous I guess I'll say I'll be watching those those tenuous <laughs> those tenuous uh relationships and negotiations next year
0: Okay, well we we covered a lot. That's a lot, that's a
1: busy year. if if 2021 is anything like 2020, just volume wise. Yeah, little did we both know, man. I mean, i'm I'm blessed with stories. Uh, there will there's always plenty to write about in Chicago and Illinois politics, but this past few years, the next few years are going to be something. I'll put it that way.
0: It it, it would be nice if 2021 could reel it in just a hair. Just a little bit. (laughs) Give everybody a minute. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, A.D. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, recreational marijuana overcame the pandemic to top sales expectations in 2020. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Chicago Comes Back provides resilient leadership insights to help your business move forward from the pandemic. Delivered on Thursdays, this free e-newsletter features up-to-date information and guidance for Chicago's businesses. Sign up at chicagobusiness.com/ChicagoComesBack. This is the Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Goof. Top Chicago corporate leaders have joined an open letter of more than 170 executives urging Congress to ratify the election of Joe Biden as president. Though the letter is organized under the banner of the Partnership for New York City, the list includes several who have deep ties here, as well as some who are based in Chicago. Among them, Kevin J. McCarthy, chairman and CEO of tech consultancy West Monroe Partners, Michael Schmidtberger, chairman of the executive committee of law firm Sidley, Edelman Public Relations president and CEO Richard Edelman, Guggenheim Partners executive chairman Alan D. Schwartz, and Accenture CEO Julie Sweet. The letter, which was first reported by The Washington Post, states, quote, The presidential election has been decided, and it is time for the country to move forward. It adds, quote, Congress should certify the electoral vote on Wednesday, January 6th. Attempts to thwart or delay this process run counter to the essential tenets of our democracy. The letter goes on to say, quote, Our duly elected leaders deserve the respect and bipartisan support of all Americans at a moment when we are dealing with the worst health and economic crisis in modern history. There should be no further delay in the orderly transfer of power. And for context, this letter comes as GOP members of both houses say they will challenge electors from up to five states in which Biden was declared the winner on grounds of uncertainty. Democrats and some other Republicans have strenuously objected, saying due process has run its course through local vote counts and recounts, court challenges and other steps. Find more on this story as well as many others at ChicagoBusiness.com. Amazon JP Morgan Chase and Berkshire Hathaway announced this week that they've disbanded a healthcare venture aimed at improving outcomes and lowering costs for their workers. Haven, the independent company described on its website as free from profit-making incentives and constraints, aimed to improve workers' satisfaction and reduce healthcare costs for the three companies' nearly one million U.S. workers, but will now close up at the end of February, according to its website. A spokesperson for Haven said in a statement: moving forward, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP. Morgan Chase and Company will leverage these insights and continue to collaborate informally to design programs tailored to address the specific needs of our individual employee populations and locations. Shares of United Health Group, Humana and CVS Health each rose on the news. According to surveys released this week by two moving van companies, two-thirds of moving van bookings in Illinois were outbound last year, underscoring the state's seventh year of population loss. United Van Lines says more than 66 percent of the 2020 interstate moves that it handled in Illinois were outbound. Competitor Atlas Van Lines reported in its study that slightly less than 63 percent of the interstate moves it handled in the state were also outbound. A third study from U-Haul ranked Illinois 49th among 50 mainland U.S. locations of 49 states and Washington, D.C., for inbound moves by do-it-yourselfers. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that Illinois lost almost 79,500 people in the year ending July 1st, bringing Illinois down more than a quarter of a million people since the 2010 census. Of course, all this moving data is also covering the year 2020, which was, of course, marked by an ongoing pandemic, which also meant working from home, e-learning, closed businesses and, you know, a lot of rapid change. Nonetheless, a report from Redfin showed that Chicagoans looking to move outside the area often looked in South Bend, Indiana, as well as Austin, Texas and Cape Coral, Florida. Sales of recreational marijuana in Illinois reached nearly $670 million during the first year it was legal for those over 21 to buy weed. Despite the pandemic, sales were even stronger than expected. Statewide, sales were about 49% higher than they were in Michigan, where sales totaled about $450 million. Sales moved forward throughout the year as cultivation capacity expanded and new retail stores came online after the sector struggled to get up to speed in the six months between when the law passed and when sales began on January 1st of 2020. December sales rose 16% to $87 million, which is the highest monthly total so far, according to the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional regulation. It was more than double the $39 million in marijuana sales right out of the gate in January of last year. And that's Cranes Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Cranes government reporter, A.D. Quigg. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And be sure to find hashtag Cranes Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.